Chapter 25, Part 2 of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Muehlbach, King Louis Seventeenth. The officials came to a halt upon the threshold, as though petrified at this unheard-of license, and fixed their cold, angry looks now upon the bird, now upon the boy, who was sitting upon his rest chair before the cage, looking at the birds with beaming eyes. A second time the automaton began the unfortunate air, and the exasperated inspector strode up to the cage. "'What does this mean?' asked one of them. "'How does anyone dare to keep up, in the glorious republic, such worthless reminders of the cursed monarchy only see cried another see the order that one of the birds is wearing it is plain that the old passion of royalty still lurks here for even here ribbons are given away as signs of distinction the republic forbids such things and we will not suffer such infamy the inspector put his hand into the cage, seized the little canary bird with the red ribbon, and squeezed him so closely that the poor little creature gave one faint chirp and died. The man drew him out and hurled him against the wall of the room. The little boy said not a word. He uttered not a complaint. He gazed with widely open eyes at his dead favorite, and two great tears slowly trickled down his pale cheeks. The next day the inspectors gave a report of this occurrence, couched in terms of worthy indignation, and all hearts were stirred with righteous anger at the story of the automaton that sang the royal aria, and of the living bird that wore the badge of an order about its neck. They were convinced that the secret royalists were connected with this thing, and it was registered in the communal acts as the conspiracy of the canary bird. The little winged conspirators, the automaton as well as the living birds, were of course instantly removed from the temple, and Simon had the double vexation of receiving a reprimand from the authorities, and then the losing his little merry companions from the prison. It was all the fault of this little good-for-nothing boy, who knew how to make long faces, and allowed himself to waken and disturb his master in the night by his crying and sobbing. The worthless viper has spoiled my sleep for me, growled Simon the next morning. My head is as heavy as a bomb, and I shall have to take a foot bath to draw the blood away from my ears. Jeanie Marie silently carried her husband to the leaden foot bath with the steaming water, and then drew back into the corner, in whose dismal shadow she often sat for hours, gazing idly at her calendar of the revolution the long stocking on which traces of the blood of the queen were still visible meanwhile simon took his foot bath and while he did so his wicked malicious eyes now fell upon his wife who had once been so cheerful and resolute and who now had grown so sad and broken now upon the boy who since yesterday when his canaries had been taken from him had spoken not a word or made a sound and who sat motionless upon the rush chair folding his hands in his lap and gazing at the place where his dead bird lay yesterday this life would make one crazy growled simon with the tone of a hyena capay he cried aloud take the towel and warm it at the chimney fire so as to wipe my feet 
Louis rose slowly from his chair, took the towel, and crept to the chimney fire to spread it out and warm it. But the glow of the coals burned his little thin hands so badly that he let the cloth fall into the fire, and before the trembling, frightened child had time to draw it back, the towel had kindled and was burning brightly. Simon uttered a howl of rage, and as with his feet in the water he was not able to reach the boy, he heaped curses and abuse upon him, and not alone on him, but on his father and mother, till his voice was hoarse and he was exhausted with this outpouring of his wrath. Deceived by the quiet which followed, little Louis took another towel, warmed it carefully at the chimney, and then cautiously approached his master to wipe his feet. Simon extended them to the boy and let himself be served as if by a little slave, but just as soon as his feet were dry, he kicked the boy's head with such force that without a cry Louis fell down, striking his head violently on the floor. Perhaps it was this pitiful spectacle that exasperated the cobbler still more. He beat the unconscious boy, roused him with kicks and with the noise of his curses, raised his clenched fists and swore that he would now dash the viper in pieces, when he suddenly felt his hands grasped as in iron clamps, and to his boundless astonishment saw before him the pale grim face of his wife, who had come out from her corner and fixed her black glistening eyes upon him, while she held his hands firmly. "'What is it, Jeannie Marie?' said Simon, surprised. "'Why are you holding me so?' "'Because I do not want you to beat him to death,' she said with a hoarse, rough voice. He broke out into loud laughter. "'I really believe the knitter of the guillotine has pity on the son of the she-wolf.' A convulsive quiver passed through her whole frame. A singular, gurgling sound came from her chest. She put both her hands to her neck and tore the little kerchief off, as if it were tied tight enough to strangle her. No, she said in a suppressed tone, no compassion on the wolf's brood. But if you beat him to death, they will have to bring you to the guillotine, that it may not appear as if they had ordered you to kill the little Capet. True, said Simon, you are right, and I thank you, Jeannie Marie, that you may remind me of it. It shows that you love me still, though you are always so quiet. Yes, yes, I will be more careful. I will take care to beat little serpent only so much that it may not bite, but cannot die. Jeannie Marie made no reply, but sat down in the corner again, took up her stocking, without touching the needles, however, and going on with her work. "'Get up, you cursed snake,' growled Simon, "'and get up and go out of my sight, and do not stir me up again.' The child rose slowly from the floor, crept to the wash-basin, and with his trembling, bruised hands wiped away the blood that was flowing out of his nose and mouth. A loud gurgling sound came from the corner where Jeannie Marie sat. It seemed half like a cry, half like a sob. When Simon looked around, his wife lay pale and motionless on the floor. She had sunk from her chair in a swoon.' Simon grasped her in his strong arms and carried her to the bed, laid her gently and carefully down, and busied himself about her, showing a manifest anxiety. "'She must not die,' he murmured, rubbing his temples with salt water. "'She must not leave me alone in this horrible prison and with this dreadful child. "'Jeannie Marie, wake up. Come to yourself.' She opened her eyes and gazed at her husband with wild, searching looks. "'What is the matter, Jeannie Marie?' he asked. "'Have you pain? Are you sick?' "'Yes,' she said. "'I am sick. 
i am in pain i will go to bring you a physician you shall not die no no you shall not die you shall have a physician the hotel dieu is very near they will certainly allow me to go as far as there and bring a doctor for my dear genie he was on the point of hastening away but genie murray held him fast remain here she murmured do not let me be alone with him i am afraid of him of whom asked simon astonished and as he followed the looks of his wife they rested on the boy who was still busy in checking the blood that was flowing freely from his swollen nose of him asked simon in amazement jeanie marie nodded yes she whispered i am afraid of him and i do not want to remain alone with him for he would kill me simon burst into a loud hoarse laugh now i see that you are really sick and the doctor shall come at once but they certainly will not let me leave this place for this despicable brat has made us both prisoners a miserable good-for-nothing thing send him away let him go into his own room whispered jeanie marie i cannot bear to see him he poisons my blood send him away for i shall be crazy if i have to look at him longer away with you you viper roared simon and the boy who knew that he was meant that the term viper was applied only to him hastily dried his tears and slipped through the open door into his little dark apartment now i will run and call the porter said simon hurriedly he shall send someone to the hotel dieu and bring a physician for my poor dear sick jeanie marie he hastened out and turned back after a few minutes with the report that the porter himself had gone to bring a doctor and that help would come at once nonsense cried jeanie marie no doctor can help me and there is nothing at all that i want only give me something to drink simon for my throat burns like fire and then call little capayan for in his dark room his eyes glisten like stars and i cannot bear them simon shook his head sadly and while holding a glass of cold water to her lips he said to himself jeanie marie is really sick she has a fever but we must do what she orders else it will come to delirium and she might become insane and with a loud voice he called capay capay come here come here you viper you wolf's club come here the boy obeyed the command slowly crept into the room and sat down in the rest chair in the corner he shall not look at me shrieked jeanie marie he shall not look into my heart with his dreadful blue eyes it hurts me oh so much so much turn around you viper said simon look round this way again or i'll tear your eyes out of your head i the door leading to the corridor now opened and an old man leaning on a cane entered wearing on his head a powdered peruke his bent form covered with a black satin coat beneath which a satin vest was seen on his feet silk stockings and buckled shoes and his lace encircled hand a cane with a gold head well cried simon with a laugh what sort of an old scarecrow is that and what does it want here the scarecrow wants nothing of you said the old man in a kindly way but you want something of it citizen you have sent for me ah so you are the doctor from the hotel dieu yes my friend i am citizen nuda nuda the chief physician at the hotel dieu cried simon and you come yourself to see my sick wife does that surprise you citizen simon yes indeed it surprises me for i have been told so often that citizen nuda the greatest and most skilful physician in all paris never leaves the hotel dieu that the aristocrats in sidevant have begged him in vain to attend them and that even the austrian woman in the days when she was queen sent to no purpose to the celebrated nuda and begged him to come to versailles we heard that the answer was 
I am the physician of the poor and the sick in the Hotel Dieu, and whoever is poor and sick may come to me in the house which bears the name of God, but whoever is too rich and too well for that must seek another doctor, for my duties with the sick do not allow me to leave the Hotel Dieu. And after that answer reached the palace, so the great Dr. Marat told me, the queen had her horses harnessed and drove to Paris to consult Dr. Nudat at the Hotel Dieu and to receive his advice. Is the story really true, and are you Dr. Nudat? The story is strictly true, and my friend, I am Dr. Nudat. And you now leave the Hotel Dieu to come and visit my sick wife? asked Simon, with a pleasant look and a flattered manner. Does your wife not belong to my poor and sick? asked the doctor. Is she not a woman of the people, this dear French people, to whom I have devoted my services in my life? For a queen, Dr. Nuda might not leave his hospital, but for a woman of the people he does it. And now, citizen, let me see your sick wife, for I did not come here to talk. Without waiting for Simon's answer, the physician walked up to the bed, sat down on the chair in front of it, and began at once to investigate the condition of the woman, who reached him her feverish hand, and, with an almost inaudible voice, answered his professional questions. The cobbler stood at the foot of the bed, and directed his little cunning eyes to the physician in amazement and admiration. Behind him, in the corner, sat the son of Marie Antoinette, humiliated still and motionless. Yet, in spite of the injunction of Jeanie Marie, he had turned around, and was looking toward the bed, but not to the knitter of the guillotine for his looks directed, but to this venerable old gentleman with his powdered peruke, his satin coat, silk stockings, breeches, shoe buckles, gold embroidered waistcoat, and lace ruffles. This costume reminded him of the past. The halls of Versailles came back to him, and he saw before him the shadowy figures of the cavaliers of that time, all clothed like the dear old gentleman who was sitting before the bed there. "'Why do you look at me in such a wondering way, Citizen Simon?' asked Nudal, who was now through with his examination. "'I really wonder, I really do wonder immensely,' said Simon. "'And there is a saying much for, in these times, when there are so many changes, a man can hardly wonder at anything. Still I do wonder, Citizen Nudal, that you can venture to go around in this costume. That is the style of clothing worn by traitorous sedevants and aristocrats. Anybody else who dare put it on would have only one more walk to take. That to the guillotine, and yet you venture to come here venture repeated Nudon with a shrug i venture nothing citizen i wear my clothes in conformity with a habit of years standing they fitted well under the monarchy they fit just as well under the republic and i am not going to be such a fool as to put by my soft and comfortable silk clothes and put on your hateful uncomfortable thick ones and strut about in them i am altogether too old to take up the new fashions and altogether too well satisfied with my own suit to learn how to wear your cloth coats with swallow-tails and your leather hose and top-boots defend me from crowding my old limbs into such stuffs citizen doctor cried simon with a laugh you are a jolly good old fellow and i like you well i do not blame you for preferring your comfortable silk clothes to the new style that our revolutionary heroes have brought to mode that nothing might remind us of the cursed god-forsaken monarchy i wonder merely that they allow it and do not make you a head shorter 
but how would they go on with matters in the hotel dieu without a head nothing could be done with the sick and the suffering for without a head there is no thinking now as i am the head of the hospital and as they have no head to take my place and as in spite of my old-fashioned clothes my sick are cured and have confidence in me the great revolutionary heroes wink at me and let me do as i please for they know that under the silk dress of an aristocrat beats the heart of a true democrat but that is not the question before us now citizen we want to talk about the health of your wife here she is sick she has a fever and it will be worse yet with her unless we take prompt measures and provide a cooling drink for her do it citizen doctor said simon make my genie marie well and bright again or i shall go crazy here in this accursed house genie marie is sick just with this that she is not accustomed to be idle and to sit still and fold her hands in her lap and run around like a wild beast in its cage but here in the temple it is no better than in a cage and i tell you citizen it is enough to make one crazy here that has made genie sick to have no fresh air no exercise and work but why has she no exercise no work why does she not go out into the street and take the air because she cannot cried simon passionately because the cursed little viper there embitters our whole life and makes us prisoners to this miserable wretched prisoner look at him there the infernal little wolf he is the one to blame that i cannot go into the street cannot visit the clubs the convention or any meeting but must lie here like a chappist or like an imprisoned criminal he is the one to blame that my wife can no longer take her place at the guillotine and knit and go on with her work there yes cried Jeanie Marie with a groan, raising her head painfully from the pillow. He is to blame for it all, the shameless rascal. He has made me melancholy and sad. He has worried and vexed and changed me. Oh, oh, he is looking at me again, and his eyes burn into my heart. Miserable viper, cried Simon, dashing towards the boy with clenched fists how dare you turn your hateful eyes toward her after her expressly forbidding it wait i will teach you to disobey and give you a lesson that you will not forget his heavy hand fell on the back of the boy and was raised again for a second stroke when it was held as in an iron vice you good-for-nothing what are you doing cried a thundering voice and two blazing eyes flashed on him from the reddened face of dr newdaw simon's eyes fell before the angry look of the physician then he broke out into a loud laugh citizen doctor i say what a jolly fellow you are he said merrily you did that just as if you were in a theatre and you called out to me just as they call out to the murderers in a tragedy what do you make such a halloo about when i chastise the wolf's cub a bit as he has richly deserved it is true said newdaw i was a little hasty but that comes from the fact citizen that i not only held you to be a good republican but a good man as well and therefore it pained me to see you do a thing which becomes neither a republican nor a good man why what have i done that is not proper asked simon in amazement look at him the poor beaten swollen stupefied boy said newdaw solemnly pointing to louis who sat on his chair weeping and trembling in all his limbs look at him citizen and then do not ask me again what you have done that is not proper well but he deserves nothing better cried simon with a sneer he is the son of the she-wolf madame veto he is a human being 
said Dr. Nudah solemnly, and he is, besides, a helpless boy, whom the one indivisible and righteous republic deprived of his father and mother, and put under your care to be educated as if he were a son of your own. I ask you, citizen, would you have struck a son of your own as you just struck this boy? A loud convulsive sob came from the bed in which Jeanie Marie lay, and entirely confused and disturbed Simon. No, he said softly, perhaps I should not have done it. But, continued he eagerly, and with a grim look, a child of my own would not have tried and exasperated me as this youngster does. From morning till evening he vexes me, for he does nothing that I want him to do. If I order him to sing with me, he is still and stupid, and when he ought to be still, he makes a noise. But you believe me, citizen, the son of the she-wolf leaves me no quiet for sleep. Lately in the night he kneeled down in the bed and began to pray with a loud voice, so as to wake both my wife and myself. From that night on I have been sick and miserable, moaned Jeanie Marie. From that night I have not been able to sleep. You hear, citizen doctor, my wife was so terrified with that that it made her sick, and now you shall have a proof of the disobedience of the little viper. Capet, come here. The boy rose slowly from his chair and stole along with drooping head to his master. Capet, we will sing, said Simon. You shall show the doctor that you are a good Republican, and that you have entirely forgotten that you are the son of the Austrian, the rascally Madame Vito. Come, we will sing the song about Madame Vito. Quick, strike in, or I will beat you into a pulp. The song about Madame Vito, do you hear? Sing! A short pause ensued. Then the boy raised his swollen face and fixed his great blue eyes with a defiant flaming expression upon the face of the cobbler. Citizen, he said, with clear, decided tones, I shall not sing the song about Madame Vito, for I have not forgotten my dear mamma, and I can sing nothing bad about her, for I love my dear mamma so much, so much, and... The voice of the boy was drowned in his tears. He let his head fall upon his breast, ready to receive the threatened chastisement. But before the fist of Simon, already raised, could fall upon the poor head of the little sufferer, a thrilling cry of pain resounded from the bed. "'Simon, come to me!' gasped Jeanie Marie. "'Help me draw the dagger out of my breast. I am dying. Oh, I am dying!' "'What kind of a dagger?' cried Simon, rushing to the bed and taking the convulsed form of his wife in his arms. "'Hush!' whispered the doctor, who also had gone to the bed of the sick woman. "'Hush! She is speaking in a fever, and the dagger of which she talks she feels in her heart and conscience. "'You must spare her, citizen, if you do not want her to die. "'Everything must be quiet around her, and you must be very careful not to agitate her nerves. "'These she have an acute typhoid fever. "'I will send her some cooling medicine at once, and tomorrow morning I will come early to see how it fares with her. "'But above everything else, Simon, remember to have quiet, that your good wife may get well again.' "'Who would have told me two weeks ago that Jeanie Marie had nerves?' growled Simon." the first knitter of the guillotine, and now all at once nerves and tears. But I must be careful of her, for it would be too bad if she should die and leave me all alone with this tedious youngster. I could not hold out. I should run away. Go, Capet, get into your room, and do not get in my way again today, else I will strangle you before you can make a sound. Come, Scud, clear, and do not let me see you again, if your life is worth anything to you. 
the child stole into his room again sat down upon the floor folded his little hands in one another and fixed his great blue eyes on the ceiling above held his breath to listen to every little sound every footfall that came from the room above all at once he heard plainly the steps of someone walking up and down and a pleased smile flitted across the face of the boy that is certainly my dear mamma he whispered to himself yes it is my mamma queen and she is taking her walk in the sitting-room just as she has done since she has not been allowed to go out upon the platform oh mamma my dear mamma i love you so much and the child threw a kiss up to the ceiling not knowing that she to whom he sent his greeting had long been resting in the silent grave and that with the very hand which was throwing kisses to her he had himself signed the paper which heaped upon his mother the most frightful calumnies even simon had not had the cruel courage to tell the boy of the death of his mother and of the unconscious wrong that he poor child had done to her memory and in his silent chamber his longing thoughts of her were his only consolation and so he sat there that day looking up to the ceiling greeting his dear mamma with his thoughts and seeing her in spirit greeting him again nodding affectionately to him and drawing her dear little louis charles to her arms these were the sweet transporting fancies which made the child close his eyes so as not to lose them immovably he sat there until gradually thoughts and dreams flowed into each other and not only his will but sleep as well kept his eyes closed but the dreams remained and were sweet and refreshing and displayed to the sleeping child so harshly treated in his waking hours only scenes of love and tenderness and it was not his mother alone who embraced him in his happy slumbers no there were his aunt and his sister as well and at last even oh how strange dreams are at last he even saw simon's wife advancing toward him with kindly and tender mien she stooped down to him took him up in her arms kissed his eyes and begged him in a low trembling voice to forgive her for being so cruel and bad and while she was speaking the tears streamed from her eyes and flowed over her face she kissed them away with her hot lips and whispered forgive me poor unhappy angel and do not bring me to judgment i will treat you well after this i will rescue you from this hell or i will die for you oh how the bad man has beaten your dear angel face but believe me i have felt every blow in my own heart and when he treated you so abusively i felt the pain of hell oh forgive me dear boy forgive me and again the tears started from her eyes and flowed hot over his locks and forehead all at once jeanie marie quivered convulsively laid the boy gently down and ran hastily away a door was furiously opened now and simon's loud and angry voice was heard the tones awakened the little louis he opened his eyes and looked around yes it had really all been a dream he had heard neither his mother nor simon's wife and yet it had been as natural as as if it had all really transpired he had felt arms tenderly embracing him and tears hot upon his forehead entirely unconscious he raised his hand to his brow and drew it back affrighted for his hair and his temples were wet as if the tears of which he had dreamed had really fallen there what does this mean jeanie marie asked simon angrily why have you got out of bed while i was awake and what have you had to do in the room of the little viper 
if you leave me alone with him i have to watch him sick as i am moaned she i had to see whether he was still there whether he had not run away and gone to report to the convention that we have left him alone and have no care for him oh bah he will not complain of us laughed simon but keep quiet jeanie marie i promise you that i will not leave you alone again with the wolf's cub besides here is the medicine that the doctor has sent and to-morrow he will come himself again to see how you get on so keep up a good heart jeanie marie and all will come right again the next morning dr new dog came again to look after the sick woman simon had just gone upstairs to announce something to the two princesses in the name of the convention and had ordered the little capet to remain in the anteroom and if the doctor should come to open the door to him nobody else was in the anteroom when dr new dog entered and the door leading into the next room was closed so that the sick person who was there could see and hear nothing of what took place sir whispered the boy softly and quickly you were yesterday so good to me you protected me from blows and i should like to thank you for it the doctor made no reply but looked at the boy with such an expression of sympathy that he felt emboldened to go on my dear sir continued the child softly and with a blush i have nothing with which to show my gratitude to you but these two pears that were given me for my supper last night and just because i am so poor you would do me a great pleasure if you would accept my two pears footnote the boy's own words see Buchan, volume two page one hundred and eighty he had raised his eyes to the doctor with a gentle supplicatory expression and taking the pears from the pocket of his worn mended jacket he gave them to the physician then happened something which had simon entered the room just then would probably have filled him with exasperation it happened that the proud and celebrated dr new daw the director and first physician of the hotel dieu sank on his knee before this poor boy in the patched jacket who had nothing to give but two pears and that he was so overcome either by inward pain or by reverence that while taking the pears he could only whisper with a faint voice i thank your majesty i have never received a nobler or more precious gift than this fruit which my unfortunate king gives me and i swear to you that i will be your devoted and faithful servant end of chapter twenty five part two read by ella barnett